The year is 1994, and the new comedy film starring Martin Short is released in theaters. Some say it's an ill-conceived, irritating movie, but does it truly deserve that reputation? I'm Travis Kirkland. And I'm the one Satan. And this is the Fendier Trash Movie. To another fine time on a fine show, fine edition, fine everything, because it's a fine time on the Fendier Trash Movie, the podcast that examines bad movies and misrepresented films to see if they're actually good. And Luana, Travis, usually we do movie discussion, but to go slightly off topic, I think it's a little fun to mix it up and do some music discussion. What about you? Yeah, I always love learning uh, new stuff, and we're always so, you know, cooped up in the um, movie aspect of pop culture. And, you know, we're, we're two pretty uh, well-rounded individuals. Music is a lovely side trip. Mm-hmm. and um, Our side piece. It's our pop culture side piece. <laughs> yeah. Don't... Uh, don't let uh, don't let music hear you. <laughs> <laughs> Instead, we hear music. <laughs> That that's how it's supposed to be. We're <laughs> and, we're music side piece, <laughs> <laughs> and I think the best way to do that is bringing back our old favorite segment, defend your playlist, which is of course the segment where one of us makes a three track playlist for the other co host, and uh, we discuss that playlist, uh, why they chose those songs, what the songs mean to them, and Luana. You controlled mm-hmm. the turntables this time. You made a fun little three-song playlist for me to listen to. So uh, I want to hear some of your thoughts uh, about why you chose certain songs, what memories or thoughts trigger in your mind with these tracks. So uh, kick it off with whatever song you want to discuss first. Okay, I thought last time we did this, or at least last time we, uh, I presented my playlist to defend, I was pretty um, low or possibly even completely absent of hip-hop, and I did grow up on a lot of hip-hop, uh, and so I was like, yeah, what, what, what is a good hip-hop song to put on there that I definitely grooved to a lot in my teenage years? Um and I chose Snoop Dogg's From the Church to the Palace uh, from his uh, Paid the Cost to Be the Boss album in 2002. Um, it is a uh, Neptunes-produced track, as were most mainstream hip-hop tracks back in the early 00s. And, uh, yeah, I guess the reason I chose it is that... Um, Snoop in my teenage years was always this um this outsized figure because like he's sort of he's a he's a badass but he's also kind of well nowadays for kids in 2023 he's more like a, a jovial uncle <laughs> more oh. Than anything. oh yeah yeah so yeah like like in the in the 90s he was definitely a bad I mean he was a he he was he was on trial for murder exactly yeah um and uh, this was kind of his transitional phase you know he did you know sing about crips and stuff but 
he was he was starting to become kind of a pop culture um, mainstay. You know, yeah. he he would be on on on, on panel shows. He'd be a special guest, and he was I, I think in that year he appeared as the as Huggy Bear in Starsky and Hutch. Yeah, definitely. I when I hear this song, I start to hear like the mainstreaming of snoop dog basically right, right not in a bad way just that he 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 starts to become uh more like quote unquote sub suburban safe you know yeah exactly um and i think that you know me and my buds being suburban kids uh <laughs> this is and and i guess you know we were we were born in the mid 80s so by the time we were like in our early teens uh you know early to that. I don't know. I, I want to say mid-teens when you start uh, getting the new music and yeah. uh, uh, you know dis discovering music that you discovered yourself or what MTV is presenting rather than what I don't know a cool uncle or older nephew <laughs> shows you. Um, you know, at that point, uh, Pac and Biggie had died. You know, the gangsta stuff was on its way back. And, the, you know, while there probably still was gangsta stuff, it was it was more posturing than anything else. It was, you know, it, uh, it and Snoop's whole deal was that he was he was kind of the Tommy Chong of the of the bunch. You know, he was he was always blazing. He was always high. And he had we loved his mimicry. Like he, he had fantastic like. Yeah, he always had that. Um, I, I'm I'm so blaze stuck, but I don't care. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> attitude and um, from the church to the palace has that um, uh, video where there's a Snoop action figure that's manipulated by a little boy, <laughs> uh -huh. and and like you get Snoop being um, like like Steve Martin and the man with two brains. Like yeah, he's being all he's getting the voodoo doll treatment himself. basically. Yeah. yeah. Exactly, um, and that I thought that really sort of encapsulated like the goofiness of the of the hip hop that seeped through into um, European white suburbia. <laughs> the, the, <laughs> my um, my experience of hip hop because like I liked the badass stuff, it's cool, the badass posturing stuff we jeans. Uh -huh. Uh -huh. uh, but like, obviously, we all knew we weren't really, you know, geez. Exactly. <laughs> so like, we're, we're all we're all just kind of messing around here, right? <laughs> and, and and I think videos like from the Church of the Palace uh, really um, encapsulate that sort of goofy, fun, uh, cool guy. But like, we're not too serious about it. Atmosphere, uh -huh. you know. Uh, so what what did, what do you think of the song? Well, even the title itself, like from the church to the palace like is written in that i think what is now known as like that snoop dog talk of like yeah, you right. know of you know fizzle dizzle dizzle <laughs> but like that wasn't even like his thing when he first started yes. with death row and what right yeah <laughs> so it was clear that like the way that that was being titled it's like Oh, he's now br really branding himself. Right. Like, oh, right. this is the this is the way like I speak and how I define things. Right. Right. right yeah. And uh, yeah, I definitely when I hear this, this is definitely you know he's definitely done a lot more pop stuff since then. But this is like the first, as you said, like the first kind of mainstream pop sound, which mm -hmm. like 
probably reaches its apex a year later when he does uh drop it like it's, like hot. it's hot yeah with, uh, not, again with the neptunes mm-hmm. like that's when i feel like now everybody is with like the the, the quote-unquote snoop dog thing yeah and it right, is funny right. to think that like you know you and i growing up in the 90s we knew him from you know, he was from Death Row Records. He hung out with Dr. Dre from N.W.A. Right. Murder was the case. Chin and juice. <laughs> all the dangerous stuff. And like now, yeah, he's like, uh, he's, you know, best friend. He's palling around with Martha Stewart and everything <laughs> now. Uh, he's just a personality and he can just coast on that. It's almost like he's a, he's he's become Mr. T in a way with the fun <laughs> name and the fun <laughs> way he talks and everything. He talks funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's uh, funny that, like, with the like the whole slap controversy, that like Will Smith has become a slightly, a slightly controversial figure, and like, I, it's so ironic that Snoop is probably less controversial than Will Smith right now in 2023. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> oh the night. What a you would not have predict that in the 1990 <laughs> circa 1995. Definitely, that would not. Uh, murder was the case slapping turned out to be the case (laughs) (laughs) we have video evidence of it um uh yeah that uh that takes me back to when snoop dogg was uh coming into his own or coming into his uh uh, pop culture personification uh but uh yeah that brings back some fun memories and uh what else what other song on your playlist brings back some fun memories for you uh, yeah, we travel back a few years to the 90s with uh, Lorena McKennett's The Mummer's Dance, a um, 1997 uh, single off of her um, off of her album, I think The Secrets, uh, I'm not sure, or uh, Book of Secrets, Book of Secrets. Um, yes. Um, yeah, I, w- I actually... Um, only learned about this one in the late 00s, I want to say 2007, 2008, so a good decade after it was actually released. Um, I've always been a big, um, I've been always been a big, like, uh, history, uh, fantasy, sword and sorcery nerd. Uh, you know, as, as listeners to this podcast can attest with my choices of, like, John Carter and Warcraft and stuff um, as the movies that I defend. Um, the, my my then partner in the late OOS liked to karaoke, <laughs> and uh, there was there was a free website because we were both poor at that time. We could not always attend <laughs> paying karaoke events, um, and. Um, there was a free website that had fairly limited, you know, um, if you don't, if you don't have an account, there's a couple songs that you can do. And I was like, Hey, what the fuck is that? The mummer's dance. And I, I thought it was fucking enchanting. <laughs> and, uh, so yeah, let me, let me check this lady out. I've, uh, I've never, uh, I, I'd not, I did not have the range to, <laughs> to, to actually properly do mummer's dance turned out. But, um, so I checked that lady out and, um, Turns out that she had she has a damn good um, you know if you're into folk um, sort of new agey stuff uh, uh, Celtic uh, like um, beautiful ethereal vocals and and harp and lyre and uh, you know fiddles that shit is dope and uh, the mummer's dance is I think a, a pretty um, sort of chill and relax 
easy intro. Like, if you think that genre might be for you or not, you know, that I think that I think this is a good sort of barometer for uh, how much can you take, because <laughs> you know it's obviously an acquired taste. I think it's I think it's beautiful. I think she. Uh, once I got into her, uh, I just I just chose that song because that song is the one that um, kind of sent me into a deep dive in the early uh, in the late OOS and never came back uh, from it. Uh, I, uh, I I I when I was when I had my jaw broken and I was convalescing, I just put her albums on on repeat. <laughs> it's like that is healing music, bro. That is uh, uh, really relaxing and uh, just. Uh, Zoning out, spacing out, and um, get get the self to another world, man. How about you, Travis? Did, did you enjoy your uh, brief sojourn into the land of fate? <laughs> so what was interesting is that when you made this playlist, you put on the Mummer's Dance, the original album version. But I remember Mummer's Dance as a distant, distant memory of the late 90s when that song charted as... Uh, the dance remix, right? Um, yeah, yeah. Uh -huh. by uh, I think the DJ duo was uh, I think that's DNA who also yeah, yeah, yeah. did the uh, Tom's Diner remix. Tom's Diner, <laughs> um, and so I guess that was their thing, just taking these kind of uh, not dancey songs and turning them into dancey songs, basically. <laughs> so that so that shook the cobwebs um, for me, and that was my only real memory I had of Lorena McKinnett was from that time and this kind of interesting oddity being mm -hmm. parts of of the late 90s and then um the youtube channel todd in the shadows did a video on yeah yeah mommer's dance and and he deep dived into her discography and that was when much more was illuminated on mm -hmm. the tenants and how you know she has a you know much bigger presence and discography than just that you know one odd dance singles right 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 <laughs> um and i'll admit you know it's not the type of music i would normally listen to uh you know and whatnot um but listening to the album version instead of the dance version it's like okay i get i get I get it, at least, if, if, even <laughs> right. if I don't have the best words. And I can even weirdly, I mean, it is a dance. It is called Mummer's Dance, but it's like, I can even hear, it's like, okay, I can see where a dance remix would have originated. Right, right, right. There is this kind of melodic beat to it to dance around for. And uh, yeah, I, again, not, I'm not necessarily going to maybe do a McKinnett deep dive. Um, but uh, I'm glad. But uh, you know, she's a very talented woman. It seems, and uh, I am happy for all of her success and that she's managed to carve out for being uh, a Canadian who's decided to go into this uh, type of music. You know. Yeah, absolutely. I think she's very um, sort of um, a mama version of these like insane metal shredders that are like <laughs> you, know, you know these heavy metal guys that can play like 500 notes oh yeah yeah 12 seconds show off like, on youtube channels and whatnot. right yeah. and you're like yeah you know that's those guys are very talented i wouldn't necessarily listen to them but they yeah. are insanely talented you know yeah. and i think that she's like the mom version of that yeah <laughs> i'm i'm sure her live shows are probably like incredible to go to um i've seen like footage of her at like uh outside outdoor venues and whatnot i was like oh i'm sure like even if you're not into that music just that type of show with the wide yeah. variety of music that she's 
uh, you know, gotten into. I'm sure it's incredible. So, uh, yeah, mm-hmm. I mean, again, not necessarily for me, but I'm happy that uh, that she's out there in the world making her art. Yeah, I was, uh, I was, uh, I was kind of guessing that's where you'd land. Like, cause, cause like, <laughs> even, you know, it is, it is a high ask to be like, and uh, you know that's not a shout people generally listen to but i, I would i would uh, i was expecting that you'd be under the and um, you know impressed by what you know her output and whatnot yeah what what if you dj'd at a club and you put on the mummer's dance but it wasn't the D, the dance remix it was the just the og uh, the og <laughs> did you see they clone tyrone uh no not yet Okay, there's like a track that like activates the sleeper soldiers. Okay, all right. <laughs> like Mummer's Dance activates. <laughs> I mean, like, hey, any DJs who listen to this, uh, try it. <laughs> Let us know how that <laughs> goes over. <laughs> um, but anyway, you have one last track on your playlist. And uh, yeah, talk to me. Um, wait, did I choose Son of Man or Strangers Like Me? Uh, you chose two worlds. Okay, well, it was either of them. Okay, <laughs> this, uh, I, yeah, just goes to show. Uh, I, it's, it's, it's more of a, it's more of a representative of the Tarzan soundtrack. Okay, I mean, two worlds is a, is a good track. I mean, it's a good soundtrack, but that's a good track on a good soundtrack. Yeah, yeah, it is because, like, um. In when Tarzan came out, like I think two two thousand no, ninety nine. Nineteen ninety nine. Uh, oh, nine. Yeah. Um, like I did not have all that many like albums bought by myself. I what I would do is I would go to the library, I would copy albums, um, like use my CD <laughs> writer, uh-huh. <laughs> copy them off of the library CD, and like um, and so I had a I had a relatively limited amount of uh of actual music and uh, a few of those in my early teen years uh were disney soundtracks i listened to a lot of the lion king on repeat and by the time uh i i was a little movie nerd so i started copying soundtracks and by the time tarzan came out i uh, i copied that one too and uh yeah oh, i you you actually did send Send me strangers like me. I had to look that up. Sorry. Oh, it was strangers like me. That's fine. It didn't my mistake. Anything. My mistake. The anecdote is about <laughs> the anecdote is about the Tarzan soundtrack, um, and uh, there was and it it would take decades for me to realize significance. Uh, there was something about the Tarzan soundtrack that really hit. Like I mean, generally they're all fun. Type of, you know, bouncy Phil Collins songs. There's a nice emotional. Um, uh, You'll be in my heart. It's a nice, you know, ballad. There's the nice poppy um, montage songs, uh, and uh, you know, well, one one can be dismissive as like, oh, it's all Phil Collins, uh, you know, it's a dumb Phil. But you know, I, I like Phil Collins' sound, and I generally like that soundtrack. Oh yeah, I like Phil Collins too. No luck. <laughs> um, and I think what Tarzan's story in the movie is very um. It resonates if you're a kid, if you're a teenage, um, if you're a teenager trying to, you know, find your way in the world. You don't know what you want to be, and Tarzan is literally about someone who doesn't know what he wants to be. Um, and strangers like me, in particular, took 
20 years for me to realize after I came out. And it is the song that Tarzan... Uh, that accompanies the montage of Tarzan being with humans for the first time. Maybe being with strangers like him. I and wanna know. Please show me. <laughs> something familiar about the strangers like, like me. me. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so and it dawned on me, like I don't know, seeing a, I don't know, some uh, Disney retrospective on YouTube or something I was like, hey, wait a minute Strangers and I just, I understood why 20 years ago I kept listening to that Tarzan soundtrack why, why those songs hit me so much and it was because I was I was closeted and I felt I felt that kinship with with Tarzan, uh, with little baby Tarzan, who didn't know how how to be an ape, <laughs> and uh, didn't know what else he could be, and um, yeah, uh, and and I think Phil Collins' songs uh, re reflect that journey very well, and I think Strangers Like Me in particular is very good at uh, you know kind of realizing that you found your people and it's it's if you know me it's it's still very upbeat it's a very peppy and happy and yeah. uh, still kind of very sincere mm -hmm. um so uh, yeah strangers like me it took me 20 years to realize that that's a song that meant a lot to me but uh, there we go <laughs> yeah i mean i know phil collins is easy to clown on as being just he's old guy music and whatnot but no, I mean, listen to the production of his songs, and they hit truly hard. Right, right, right. Um, and Strangers Like Me is is great. Um, I'll admit that Tarzan is not one of the is a Disney movie I like, but it's not one that's often on my mind. Right. Uh, but anytime I do remember remember the soundtrack, at least I'm like, yeah, it, it's it, I like it. Like Strangers Like Me, uh, you'll be in my heart and all that. So yeah, mm -hmm. I'm uh. And that's, I think, it's, I mean, this maybe warrants a whole episode discussion towards it, but I mean, if one is to give Disney credit for any type of quote-unquote magic, it's that I think in their best art, they can central, uh, they can really hone in and focus on certain emotions, mm -hmm. and even if they aren't meant, it, even if you can say that those emotions are via a message that is very um cisnormative cishead or you know mainstream or whatever that there is like core feelings that i think the artist responsible for those uh pieces of right. art that they that even if it's not intentional there is something um universal that i think that can unlock for people um mm -hmm. Yeah, and I think that's a, a you know if even if it's unintentional, that is I think uh, the good stuff in art, you know. Yeah, absolutely. That that is that's what art is about, really. Yeah. And now you know you strangers like me. That was a song that unlocked it for you. And now that you've come out, I assume like you more identify with the trash in the camp song. <laughs> you're just going out and you're out of the closet now you're going scuba dop dooba doop do shuba dop dooba dop dooba dop dooba dop bop 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 breaking dishes Joey Fatone on his back smashing those cups like there's no tomorrow no exactly you you got it you got my number 
Oh <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, that was a. Uh, but I have to say that was a really fun playlist. Uh, all bangers, oh, all bangers, no hangers. <laughs> all right, I'm uh, very curious what your next one will be about. Okay, we'll see, we'll see, we'll see. Uh, that was a co- cool time though. I always love discussing music with you, Luana. But we have to discuss movies because that is the point of this damn podcast. So let's get to our damn movie, Clifford. Clifford is a very special little boy. Would you please stop hitting the back of my chair? I am trying to sleep. I'm sorry, Miss Nice Older Person, but I don't know what you're talking about. Perhaps you were just having a nightmare about your early days in the circus. Hi, what's your name, son? My name is Clifford, and I think you're the bestest captain in the whole wide world. Well, thank you. And he's bound for Los Angeles to spend a week with his Uncle Martin. Isn't there an incredible family resemblance? Look at this. Well, I, I guess so. Are we ready to go to Dinosaur World now? I've got some bad news. <laughs> what? What? A whole gang of chocolate. I need it badly. What do you mean you're out of chocolate? I need chocolate! Breaking a little boy's promise would be a terrible, terrible thing. I would imagine that little boy wouldn't be responsible for what he was going to do next. I believe your drink is right there. See, when when you are looking at the baseball, look at it. Hit it. Hit it. Keep your eye on it. Martin Short in his smallest role ever. Charles Grodin in his most trying performance. I underestimated the evil one. What is it with you and Dinosaur World? It's a sick thing! And Mary Steenburgen. Can you just act like a human boy for one minute here? Look at me like a person. You can't do it for more than a few seconds. Look at me like a human boy. Hello? Whose house is this? It's the kid that's throwing the party. I think his name is Clifford. You want me to get him? I'll get him later. There it is, Clifford. Dinosaur World. How many years do you think you'll get for kidnapping me, Uncle Ten Most Wanted? That is so cute. I really shouldn't put this in hyperdrive, but I just can't seem to help myself. Clifford Terror has a new name, and comedy has a new face. Oh, honey, be careful while you eat your cereal. Use a napkin. This boy and his cereal. Clifford, directed by Paul Flaherty, was released on April 1st, 1994. It stars Martin Short, Charles Grodin, Mary Steenburgen, Daphne Coleman, Ben Savage, and many others. Now, I remember watching this movie as a little kid. Uh, I remember renting it as a young boy and enjoying it. Because <laughs> okay. uh, I think I remember it being sold as at least like a family comedy or at least a comedy you could take two kids uh, and I remember enjoying it. I just, you know, because it's like, ah, look, Martin Short, he's being funny. He's being goofy, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and, and look at him do the goofy stuff. And I remember watching it a couple times on videotape and, you know, how, you know, generally liking it. And that's it. Didn't mm-hmm. think about it for years, years and years and years. OK, OK. Then something that has kind of started in the past five years, maybe past decade is this uh, at least in like comedy nerd circles is this interesting kind of cult 
classic reappraisal of the movie <laughs> because the movie itself uh came and went it bombed pretty badly it was pretty critically reviled and it pretty much dissipated as soon as it was released right, right. but suddenly you had some prominent people i think tom sharpling who you know hosts a lot of podcasts like the best show and double threat was an early proponent of the clifford is actually good crowd and then right. now the days you have people like um david letterman and nancy myers and Taram killam and a lot of people right, kind right. of speaking up for oh no you need to revisit clifford because it's actually this very weird odd comedy that is indescribable uh, to, to, to kind of convey the odd tone of this thing. Uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, and I was very curious, like, oh, you know, I remember watching Clifford and not thinking much about it, except it was goofy. I made me need to rewatch this. So I did. And I kind of have to agree. I mean, I'll hold my ultimate assessment for later, but I was like, oh, this is a stranger movie than I recall. <laughs> Um, but that's kind of my history with Clifford. What about you? Um, Nathan Rabin wrote, he had that, uh, world of flops or my year of flops. Yeah. Yeah. That he wrote, wrote Clifford did a write up on Clifford on somewhere in the early tens, I think. Um, and I had never heard of it. I remember reading it, and I don't even... I, it's been so long since I read that article, I don't even remember what Rabin thought about it. Uh, if it was this a failure, a fiasco, or a secret success. Um, I don't know. I don't, uh, and, but it, it, uh, it stuck with me. Like, the idea of, like, um, okay, Martin Short plays a little boy, but, like, there's no... Beyond that high concept, there's no like in universe, you know, it's, it's not like junior. We're like, oh, Arnold's pregnant. What's the deal? You know, it's, a, it's, we're just supposed to take, yeah, he's a little boy. That's it. And exactly. It happens to me. <laughs> um, and so, like, that was wild enough. And I knew that it was a bomb. And that's it. Beyond that, only thing I'd ever heard of it. So I went in almost as blind as possible. <laughs> okay. Um, I went in almost as well yeah, as if I was a person um, in 1994, yeah. I suppose. Yeah. Taken, uh, and um, yeah, that's that is my history. I mean, I can go on, I guess. With, <laughs> like, or do you want to? Uh, well, uh, what's your first thought when you saw? Because you're some. I guess I'm very curious when the podcast is your first viewing of certain movies mm -hmm. so what are some what's a, like a first impression or thought you want to give it's i think in terms of my personal experience it reminded me of um peewee's big adventure yeah. uh yeah in, yeah in terms of the in a way kind of type of movie but um also like a thing i was aware of mm -hmm. but that i'd never seen or didn't really have much of a beyond the vaguest impressions mm -hmm. and like peewee's big adventure i absolutely fell in love with this movie <laughs> and i think it's an overlooked comedy classic <laughs> um I, I think it's weird that people aren't like pushing this as like i mean to me this was almost marx brothers level shit <laughs> <laughs> i laughed so fucking hard at 
so many things. Um, everyone is just firing on all cylinders. And um, <laughs> um, so, yeah, and exactly like Pee Wee Herman, uh, like Pee Wee's Big Adventure, I was like, God damn, this movie's good. I, I wish I hadn't slept on it for years. But unlike Pee Wee Herman, this movie is slept on. Like, you have to be a real comedy nerd, as I understand it, to, yeah. to appreciate this movie, uh, which is a shame because it's funny as hell. It is, but I think, uh, so the website Vulture did a very extensive oral history on the making of this. Got got interviews with director Paul Flaherty, with Martin Short, with Mary Steenburgen, and with almost everybody that was involved in the movie and also got quotes from those celebrity fans I mentioned. And, yeah, Let- Letterman. and Letterman probably had the best quote where you go in expecting this to be like a normal movie and then Clifford happens, basically. <laughs> um, and uh, we should start with the crazy premise that this is that, you know, Clifford, the, the story is telling us that Clifford is a, is a little 10-year-old boy. He's a little rambunctious boy but it is martin short who is a man he's an adult and he is just on his knees with some little kid makeup but otherwise it is martin short pretending to be a kid and nobody ever acknowledges this (laughs) and it's not even like like in lord of the rings that it's well done no he's he's just sitting around he's just he's just slightly lower he's just you know just on his knees probably got a lot of pillows and knee pads on that movie and he's just being a like martin short it's like it's almost as though the movie could have been sold as you you thought martin short what about martin shorter (laughs) and uh it's kind of insane and i think the key to unlocking this movie is in that oral history uh the they keep the the director uh flaherty in short keep talking about how they thought of this movie as a comedic version of the movie the bad seed uh which is also which is about you know a devil spawn kid who uh is really bad and it's like i think once you understand that they're like oh i get it now because the the thing about this movie is that uh, it's a lot like the premise is not too dissimilar from like a lot of 90s quote unquote like family comedies where it's like it's a rambunctious kid and there's some uh, uptight guardian but then oh look the kid is just pulling pranks on the guardian isn't that funny but what again what if the kid was played by an adult and what if all the all the characters were just mean <laughs> like there's not really any sympathetic characters even when you do understand people's frustration with Clifford because he is an actual irritating mean-spirited character it's like except for Mary Steenburgen you don't (laughs) no one in this movie is likable but intentionally so intentionally so (laughs) yeah (laughs) I thought yeah, I, I, thought, I thought Grodin was okay because, <laughs> like, he's just like, yeah, yeah, I got a fucking great house. This is the house great? <laughs> and Steve Bergen's like, where are we gonna put the baby? And he's like, oh, it's 
Um, sure. Uh, I love babies, baby. Yeah. In fact, I got I got a kid coming right now. Oh man, like here, man, Grodin had a great career, and yet in many ways, I feel like he's still maybe a little underappreciated as an actor because he's a he's amazing in this movie. Like he is he oh like I think short is really funny short is i think this might be one of short's best comedic performances um just how hard he goes into it but it's like man do you really need groden there also to work off of him and like be because like i think there's an easy way to like make groden's character be uh more sympathetic and in a way, you you are a little sympathetic because, again, it's very easy to see why anyone would be annoyed by Clifford. But yet, like, <laughs> I think Grodin was such a great performer. Tosson was like, yeah, but I have to be kind of up. You know, I also have to kind of seem like a not, not a nice guy, too. Like, again, the only reason that he has Clifford in his life is just to show off how much he's quote unquote good with kids to, right. <laughs> to his fiance. So even he's using this relationship to his advantage as much as Clifford wants to go to dinosaur world. <sighs> and it's just so effing funny. Like the scene that everyone like, like spotlights as the best scene is the, the one where they have the co- the confrontational conversation after uh, Grodin gets arrested for the bomb threat and they're just at the table and it's just two actors just <laughs> just like really working off each other and just really kind combat combating each other's irritability and it's just so wonderful with with the you know the classic quote now like look at me like a human boy which, which is you like can't, can't you? <laughs> and that's great i also love again how much the movie cuts the treacling notion like in that scene where you think you have this kind of emotional scene where groden tries to relate to short by saying oh yeah when i was a kid i wanted to go to this theme park and I, I i thought it was gonna be the best place ever and then i ended up not going and then <laughs> there's no resolution to that it's just like I, I wanted to go and it sucked and i just <laughs> had to deal with how much it sucked and being an adult like like clifford asked like does it get any easier and it gets older and goes like not really <laughs> it's just like oh man this is this is a, it's just so funny how cynical this that how intentionally cynical this movie is. What what gets me is that when I read that um that oral history is like it wasn't conceived as that at first. It was just literally um it was going to be a kid. Like it was uh, they were actually going to cast a kid. And I think if you actually do cast a kid you you i i don't think it would have worked no i agree yeah because there's one once you have that that the absurdity of short on his knees uh, you know play a bonson off a groden you understand that none of this is to be taken seriously yeah like if if they want you to be in a sincere emotional space 
they're going to have to come back from the initial visual of short with a devilish grin on his face <laughs> on his knees, you know? Yeah. I'm not saying it's impossible, but the movie would have to put in extra work to get you into that emotional space. Yeah. If it's just gags in that situation, the audience is is distanced. And that's fine, because that means everyone realizes we're watching a cartoon mm-hmm. and we're not really supposed to empathize too deeply. Uh, what I thought was like uh, the 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 uh, analogy I made uh, when I was watching it was like, what if like um, the um, Clifford and um, Martin are mm-hmm. kind of like El- Bugs and Elmer? If if Bugs was a little dumber and Elmer was a little meaner, because <laughs> <laughs> uh, like he's. Clifford is wily, uh-huh. but he but he is also kind of mentally limited. <laughs> <laughs> like he he doesn't seem to understand how planes work. He's the ultimate sociopath, basically. <laughs> He's one of like the great one of cinema's great sociopaths. <laughs> Short space when he tries to make a face like a human. <laughs> Oh yeah, he's doing wonderful stuff with his face, and especially like when he gets like a idea in his head and does that like evil cross eyed like ooh, and like there's a wonderful like Richard Gibbs who does the music from Oingo Boingo, um, and he does like there's like a wonderful vein he plays, but even Gibbs I think knows the movie because it it sounds part comedy part horror movie when, <laughs> um, like. I wonder if there's a meta version of this movie that could have been made. I don't think it would have worked, worked, but that could have been made where people like Grodin and Clifford's parents, when they see Clifford, they see Martin Short, but anyone else like Mary Steenburgen and what she's an actual kid, he's like a kid and right. you're never really sure what is the actual version? Yeah, like, yeah. I, I could almost see that version of the movie being made. Uh-huh. Um, but yeah, and it's funny because we were talking. We I think we've been talking about how like the movie is does not really try to soften these things, and yet like you do have these wraparound segments, this framing device that I think was done because of test screenings and audience being really disgusted and abide the Clifford character and not and finding him really unappealing so you have these like a uh, last minute reshoot wraparound segments where Clifford is now like an older man he's a priest and he's giving he's trying to you know he works at this uh, you know uh, you know kids reform school and orphanage and you know he's sitting de- and he's telling the story of when he went to dinosaur world to little ben savage and be like oh when i was a kid i was as bad as you but that was bad and it seems like it seems like man the movie's trying to go the extra mile not to make this an unappealing movie like (laughs) the point that like when he's talking about uh when he causes the plane to no to you know nosedive like if you feel like that, like, because in the when you watch the movie, that happens. He causes like an, emer- a, you know, an emergency that could have endangered a lot of people. And then you cut to 
adult Clifford and he's like, no, you see, that was bad. I, I could have hurt all those people. And you could have imagined like, oh, that was like a test screening note. Like, okay, we need to have <laughs> old Clifford say that that was bad. What I did, I learned my lesson because otherwise, uh, otherwise, like, you know, post 9-11, Clifford would have just been, you know, taken out point blank by the air marshal, basically. <laughs> Movie over. No dinosaur room. <laughs> Oh, God. I, I have to say that learning that that was a reshoot, because it was a reshoot, right? Yeah, it, it was definitely done to, it, you can kind of feel like, again, to kind of soften the edge, you know. I was, I'm not even mad at it, because the, the movie takes you to such dark places, and it's so <laughs> cynical that, like, <laughs> the ending is so saccharine that you're like, okay like we're not even we're not even serious about our dark tone whatever fuck you like 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 the fact that like they another reshot scene is the wedding scene between mary the ring bear. and and it's like and then he's like and then finally uncle martin forgave me and you're just like how why would he ever forgive you for after all this shit you've done yeah seriously and it's like he he very like sort of um half-heartedly forgives him because mary steenberg tells him to at the altar exactly <laughs> oh my god that's so fucking fun no god um thank you for choosing this movie dear <laughs> listeners oh yeah i completely forgot yeah this is the winner of our listeners choice poll <laughs> you we took four movies uh, off our maybe we'll do them one day list and it was Clifford, Ishtar, Spawn and Waterworld and ultimately you listeners chose Clifford and uh, you know those movies I'm sure would make those other three movies would make fine episodes but back on the list maybe one day they'll get their chance in the sun but uh, yeah thank you for uh, getting us on the Clifford train for this episode. Thank you for introducing Juana to the comedy genius of Clifford. <laughs> it's a uh... Yeah, and uh, look, I'm a Think Park fan. We have to talk about Dinosaur, dinosaur World. World. We have to talk about the, the Larry the Scary T-Rex ride. The whole movie is kind of, you know, set around, you know, domestic situations. And there is, of course, yeah, okay, there's a there's a scene at the airport. Otherwise, it's, you know, it's a, it's a domestic comedy um, with, you know, off scenes. Uh, home scenes, uh, maybe so, you know some public locations, mm -hmm. and then that finale of Dinosaur World. <laughs> <laughs> it's like what? It it reminds me. It reminded me of Child's Play Part Three. <laughs> <laughs> also, in a also ends in a theme park. Yeah, exactly. Because like the whole concept is like, oh, Andy goes to military school, but Chucky follows him there. Um. And then the finale is suddenly set in at this, like, you know, they're on maneuvers and they're, you know, Chucky is found out and they run away. And, oh, there's a there's a carnival there. Yeah. And that scary <laughs> and, dark ride. Scary dark ride. And then <laughs> the, the, the finale is then set into this very, like, lushly produced, uh, like, infernal dark ride where they're like, that 
that's not what a county fair dark. No, Carnies would, would not set that up. Basically, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. I knew I knew that you were enough of a theme park nerd to be like, wait a minute, that <laughs> it wouldn't look that good. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah, dinosaur. The, the ending of Clifford is at a fictional theme park called Dinosaur World, and suddenly we are just. Off the after the fucking races in terms of like yeah this is suddenly a late 80s um like a genre movie that has this extremely lush set where a big climax is happening with dinosaur puppets and like <laughs> ramping insanity and a, like a crescendoing score <laughs> and uh, oh god and, and fucking wrong. and apparently um, it's all matte paintings, it's all miniatures. There's yeah. maybe twenty feet of real set there, and it's really well done. Yeah. Um, Kenneth Leeming Jr., who does the wonderful theme, uh, we were discussing this, Ryan, as theme park nerds, was like, "Boy, this would be a really slow line to get into." Because if you think about like the ride experience of this, it's just like one person in the in the theme park car, and then you do this roller coaster ride, and then. You have to face uh, Larry the Scary Rex and shoot a laser at it. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, that's a five-minute experience that you have to do. It'd be a long-ass ride. But on the, other, yeah, on the other hand, uh, it would be a really fun, intimate experience because, you know, it's just by yourself and you get to zap Larry the Scary Rex with your laser gun. Almost as if it was written for the climax of a movie <laughs> in which one particular little boy has to experience that. Exactly. Um and and again, the going back to that letterman quote of like you think it's a normal movie and then Clifford happens, it's like, even if I think you get the premise, you give the movie that leverage of like, all right, I uh, I'll buy into the premise of Martin Short as a kid and all the craziness. To think that the movie ends with him dangling above the jaws of an animatronic dinosaur. <laughs> just, you're like, oh, what? oh, I did not expect the movie to end like yeah. this, basically. Um, and even then it has, uh, again, again, to cut the saccharineness of it all. I love that, like, you know, here's the moment in a much, in a normal movie. Here's like the rambunctious kid and he's about to, fall into the jaws of the robot he's about to die and the uncle is you know who's always had a bad relationship he's got he's finally gonna come through and save him right and he does <laughs> but like before he does you know clifford's like clifford's like you know oh, save me uncle martin's like why and he like grog just goes why maybe i'm doing humanity a great <laughs> service <laughs> a favor like oh uncle martin look i took all this plutonium and made the made the best bomb in the world <laughs> like like <laughs> I love that the movie it just goes in with the cynicism of it all of like <laughs> of like you know no these no sometimes people just fucking suck and they just <laughs> and they're they're just irritating to be around and there is no lesson or to be learned or hope to be had just fucking some <laughs> people are just fucking horrible annoying people <laughs> And I love that once he does get over himself and like, oh, fuck, I guess I'll save this kid. <laughs> and, and the kid, yay, Uncle Martin, you do love me or whatever. And he yeah. you know, goes in for a hug and Martin is just like, nobody wants to hug you, Clifford. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
Um, and, and oh man, like how much, how much in depth is how, like how much money does, does like uncle Martin now owe because he lost his job, but he ruined Larry, the scary rack. right. Like, <laughs> and I mean, that seems like a centerpiece dark, right? <laughs> like that's, that feels like dinosaur world is really based off of that. That's like wrecking space mountain. <laughs> exactly. That's like, yeah. If, if Walt Disney like went into, went into like Disneyland and just started like throwing wrenches at the track of space mountain or jungle cruise or something like that. <laughs> uh, well, you know, whatever, whatever happened, uh, he must've, uh, done something right because he's the ring bear at the end yeah yeah <laughs> um yeah clifford man this is a it's a crazy ass movie i gotta say crazy ass movie that you listeners chose for us and i am glad you did seriously it is um a real revelation uh, <laughs> that is a that is a movie i'm gonna rewatch. let me tell you yeah um uh, but I think, uh, I feel like we're getting to the end of this and, uh, yeah, I think we'll go ahead and get into, uh, some of our wrap up thoughts with most trashy, least trashy, our least favorite, most favorite things from the movie. So we'll kick it off with least trash, uh, or, uh, most trashy, our least favorite thing about the movie. And, uh, Luana, go ahead, let us, uh, kick it off with most trashy. What was your least favorite thing about Clifford? Um, when Martin and um, what's her name, Susan Mary Steenberg, um, uh, uh, what Lisa, is... <laughs> well, the, the Mary Steenberg and uh, Sarah. oh, Sarah, yes, Sarah, Sarah, um, like, yeah, for spat, and you're know, like, you're you're just taking that crap off of my boss, he's a real phony, mm-hmm. and like, and she's like, I can spot a phony a mile away, and like, this you know, drag queen or trend trans person pops mm-hmm. in like hey ma'am where's my dog <laughs> or something like that and um i haven't seen your dog ma'am <laughs> and then groden's like <laughs> and that's you know the joke is that like obviously she can't see a phony yeah uh, and like <laughs> that's like that but you know when you see a comedy that's made in the 80s or in the 90s there's always a bit of <laughs> um a um uh, the the danger of a bit of transphobia. Unfortunately, relatively minor. Uh, like you know, the crocodile Dundee has that whole gag about that's a bloke, <laughs> and uh, coming to America has the the dating montage with the with the scary trans woman. Um, so so that one was fairly minor, but let it be a a um a a a, a, a compliment to the movie that. I loved it so much that I have to specifically dig out that one offensive, like late '80s written thing, probably that to, to be like that's a thing that I did not like. So, and I mean, I I I was even kind of amused at it because I was, oh yeah, here's our here's our requisite uh, '80s and '90s comedy uh, transphobic bit. Yeah. Uh, so I wasn't even that mad at it, but gosh darn it, the movie's just so great that I <laughs> I had to dig up the transphobia to be like, that's a thing I didn't like. Mm. How about you, Travis? Uh, I am going to, I think I'll go with you, not to just piggyback. It is, unfortunately, when you watch movies of the era, it's, uh, unfortunately, if, if you're, if, you know, those type of comedies, if you weren't like the straightest of straight, 
you know, it's you gotta do you're like a weirdo. A, you gotta you gotta do a joke about how weird it is. Um, <laughs> but that's it. You pretty much you know said it best when describing how antiquated and bad that type of humor is and how prevalent it was during that type uh because trivia note this movie was filmed and made in 1990 but didn't see release until 1994 because its distributor orion pictures went through bankruptcy and all sorts of financial hardships that it was kind of kept in the vault until it was released and you know did no one any favors uh you know bomb bad but uh yeah that's a that that would be mine but uh let's go ahead and go to least trashy our most favorite thing about the movie so luana for you what was the most favorite least trashy thing about the movie um my most favorite thing is Charles Grodin's performance. Um, you know, obviously it, the movie is so high concept that any conversation about the movie will start with uh, Martin Short because you know, he's he's playing a kid that, and that is so weird. But I think the movie is a double hander between Clifford and Martin. Um, it's it wouldn't work as well as it does if it was just, you know, Clifford bouncing off of, I don't know, teachers and major D's and, and random extras. He has, he needs that counterpart in the slowly jokerifying <laughs> Martin Daniels, you know? And um, gosh, you know, um, he is, he is perfect. He, Grodin made me laugh so much and so hard with his like slow deterioration of like, yeah, I think, <laughs> I think his, uh, I, I was, joking here but like yeah he he jokerifies throughout the movie and it's it's fantastic it's and it has really i mean always did like you said earlier it's not like he's an un or like he was an unknown actor that he was he was a successful actor and, and pretty well respected i'd say but this movie really made me realize just how damn good he was and um yeah um that's that's my favorite part how about you uh travis well, oink, oink, Luana, I just have to <laughs> piggyback again. You know, I hate to just be simply a co-signer on this segment, but I got to co-sign again. I think my favorite thing is the performance of Grodin, and that was kind of the magic that he had as a performer. I think he had, if I have to think about what it was that he was so good at, I think he had both really good emotional intelligence and also really great performer intelligence. And that's what made him, I think, such a great straight man was that he never was necessarily what you would call like the outrageous funny guy. But he knew that if he played it straight with enough like trollness and irritability that he, that not only uh, he could be incredibly funny, but his uh, fellow performer would really pop off as well. Um, like if you go on YouTube and you look up any of Grodin's uh, appearances on Johnny Carson or any late night talk show, it's so funny because he plays it as like a guy who does not want to do the talk show. He hates being here, but you can tell it's like he rides that line between an act. And also I think Grodin was a guy who typically didn't do, didn't like to do a lot of public appearance stuff. Um, but you can tell that like he has enough, uh, again, that performer and emotional intelligence to know how to ride that line and really 
maximize it for you know maximum humor and uh this is a great underrated example you know i think he's got gotten you know great accolades for stuff like uh you know midnight run and uh uh heartbreak kid and everything but uh yeah don't sleep on clifford and his performance it really is an underrated comedic performance of the 90s i think yeah yeah absolutely i'm uh <laughs> it's funny that we're uh, completely in sync on this one yeah uh, well, we'll see, we'll see if we are in sync with our final question, really the ultimate question of the podcast. So, Luana, go ahead, lay it out. Give us your final thoughts by answering the question, is Clifford a trash movie? If this is a trash movie, what chance do any of us have? <laughs> like, I'm sorry, but this is just comedians working at the top of their fucking game for all I'm concerned. It is completely, it is... It, it's 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 an outrage that we're even talking about it on this podcast. It's it's it's, it's legitimately one of the funnier movies I've ever seen. <laughs> uh, um, no, it's it, it's fucking great. It's a real revelation. Um, it's it's great acting. It's it's got everyone. Just all the elements are working in such, uh, you know, perfect coordination. The the score. The the um, the lighting, the 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 animatronics, the the like, we were joking about how off the rails, <laughs> literally off the rails, it goes with the dinosaur world. Um, but that looks, you could put that same, if you didn't know the characters and you saw, you know, Martin Short dangling off a thingy and Charles Grodin has to go and save him, if you saw those shots without any context, it's like, oh yeah, this is like some sort of thriller adventure from like 1987. You'd be like. Oh, yeah, yeah, I'll I'll buy that. It doesn't, you know, it completely looks straight, you know, um, and yeah, that's fantastic. That's oh gosh, this is yeah, just just Tom Notch uh, movie making for me. How about you, Travis? Yeah, I think this is definitely an underrated movie. I don't think this is trash. Um, I do understand people's bewilderment if they're not prepared for it because they're expecting like a. Because I think people, you hear, oh, Martin Short, Charles Grodin, I know those actors, and I know the type of comedy movie to expect. And uh, turns out, no, it's not the, the, the one you expect. It is, uh, you know how, I don't know if they're as popular anymore, but there was a thing, kind of a popular thing on YouTube for a while, where it's like, we've taken this movie and we've recut it to make it look like a horror movie or something like that. So, or take a horror movie and recut it. So it looks like a comedy trailer or whatnot. And Clifford basically rides that line so well for great comedic effects. And it's weird. I'm thinking about it now. It's almost, this movie is almost like a progenitor of like the Adam McKay, Will Ferrell comedies that would come later like Anchorman and Step Brothers of of like kind of high concept comedies, but it is so fully believable in their really outrageous characters without really ever breaking reality or even allowing reality to like seep in to this into their premises. Um, yeah, um, I would say, you know, again, be prepared for a more acidic, blacker comedy than 
the box art or the cover art would give you but i think if you're willing to go with it i think you're you're you'll, you'll have a very surprising time with clifford and well worth your time well worth a visit to dinosaur world i say absolutely <laughs> and uh you know what we closed it out with uh, that listener's choice episode and i that was a real fun movie a great pick you listeners so i think uh i think next season we'll we'll uh, open it up again for another listener's choice episode uh take another four random movies and pull them off the list and uh see what the listeners decide because uh, i thought this was a great pick luana uh yeah absolutely uh I, i'll if the next one is this uh this fun uh, i'll be down for whatever Speaking of fun, we are closing out our very first Listener's Choice episode, but that means that On the Horizon is a fun tradition that we like to do here on the podcast. October is coming up, and that means the return of Trashtober! Oh, yes. I can't wait. What kind of spooky surprises we have in store for you? Yeah, of course, we're coming back with Trashtober, our month-long celebration of horror movies for the month of October. And uh, just to tease it a bit, uh, you know, Luana, we're dealing with some of the biggest icons in horror movie history for this season. I'm, I'm very excited about, like, the movies we're doing. And uh, tell you what, um, have, you been, uh, have you been having any weird dreams lately? Uh, yeah, now that you mention it, I've been trying to, to do my laundry, and mm-hmm. I go down into the basement to, yeah. you know, do my laundry yeah. in the usual, um, usual clanging pipes and steamy uh, basement that I usually do it in. But I, I keep getting chased by this guy in a weird uh, striped sweater and hat. Yeah, yeah. me too. And and sometimes, you know, it's weird because I sometimes have those weird. It's not even dreams now. Sometimes I'll I'll also be doing laundry in my bedroom, but then a pop song will come on and then I'll just I'll just start dancing around my bedroom with 3D glasses on. Yeah, my and my 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 pelvis will just want to keep gyrating around and uh I'll use a pop gun, you know, to like pop you know near my crotch, you know. I and that, that isn't that I, I don't oh, know what's happening honestly. here. Uh, yeah, and uh, did you happen to be slapped by towels as well, perhaps? Oh my, yeah, kind of, sort of. Oh. And, and uh, suddenly, I, I forgot to mention this, my bird exploded. My bird <laughs> just randomly exploded, Luana, my pet bird. That's so weird. I, I forgot that happened. <laughs> yeah, that, it sounds like a real nightmare. Uh, and I think we need to investigate these types of nightmares with a Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Oh my gosh. Now that'll, what a blast from the past. What a bird blast from what the past. What a bird blast from the past, indeed. Yeah, listeners, we're kicking off Trashtober with uh, the very first Elm Street sequel. And uh, yeah, the definitely one. Uh, I, 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 for one, am excited to talk about the Elm Street franchise i have a lot of affection for and this is definitely an interesting one to discuss and i i look forward to dissecting the nightmares uh, me too it's been uh gosh it's been 20 years or so since i saw freddy's revenge yeah and uh well that's not only the revenge of freddy but the revenge of trashtober it's gonna be a 
fun, awesome Halloween time. And that'll be in two weeks. But uh, in the meanwhile, you can follow the show on Twitter at TrashMoviePod. Email the show at TrashMoviePod at gmail.com. And you can give this show a nice rating of five stars on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. In two weeks will be the kickoff of Trashtober with A Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. Uh, But until then, the defense rests. See ya. See ya.